Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is disagreeing with someone more powerful than you. We're also going to have our chat with Christine, and we're going to talk about some innovative products. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Kimberly Claire Campbell, who is a business mentor with the Hunter Region Business Hub. We're going to talk about digital first impressions. Good afternoon, Kimberly. Hi, Julian. Well, thank you for joining us again. So, uh, digital first impressions. How have first impressions changed in business because of websites and social media? In the olden days before internet, I remember getting dressed up appropriately for special occasions, making sure that my appearance was spot on in the mirror, getting a friend to check my breath, make sure it was fresh. Um, We did everything possible to make sure that we made a really good first impression. But things have changed so much now. With virtual impressions, we don't realise that they've happened until they've actually been done. So if you're going for a job interview, you put your resume in, by the time the employer calls you for an interview, they've already done a Google search on you. They've read your LinkedIn profile, checked your social media profile, and maybe even looked at how often you're posting and what time you're posting on social media to see if you're doing it in working hours. If you're a business looking to collaborate with another business, you'll have already checked out that other business, seen what other projects they've collaborated on, got feedback from other people, and they've done it all online without you knowing they've done it. So how do you find out what's online about you? The easiest way is to Google yourself. And I know some people don't feel comfortable about doing a vanity search, but it is a really important thing to do because you need to know what's out there about you. For instance, when I Googled you, Julian, I found that there were lots of Julian Campbells out there that weren't you. And I needed to define your name a bit more specifically so that we could get information exactly about you. And as I know that you're a public speaker, I added speaker to the search criteria in Google. And on that first page of Google results, I could see that you have your own business that you are a presenter on 2NUR and that you have a LinkedIn profile and you're listed as a contributor on some well-known and well-respected websites. So it's all really important to do that vanity search and check out what's out there. And it's also important when you do that to look at the images that are up about you as well. And you might find that some of those images aren't actually you, but because your name appears on a web page with a particular photo in, you may come up in that photo as a name even though the photo isn't of you. So so what happens if I do find inaccurate information or unfavourable images about myself? The easiest way is to contact the website owner and just nicely ask them if they can remove that information. If they remove the content, then eventually Google will stop indexing it and it won't come up when you do a vanity search. But if the site owner, for some reason, refuses to remove that information, you can ask each search engine, for instance, Google, Bing, Yahoo, and so on, to remove the information, especially if it's sensitive personal information or confidential information, e.g. our medical records or financial records. If there is an image of your signature or an appropriate image, 
it's best to ask them to remove that as well. However, Google won't remove information that is from an official government website. So to keep up to date with any new information that's coming up about you after that initial vanity search or Google search, you can set up a Google alert. So if you visit alerts, A-L-E-R-T-S dot Google dot com, you can set up an alert for any information, but it's good to set one up for your name and you can get an email sent to you either as it happens, weekly, daily, hourly, to find out what's new about you online. So I know you've made, made all those comments there about what I can do with Google, but can you really control your digital first impression? You can't completely control it, but you can go a long way to making sure that it is a positive first impression. And one way to do that is to create your own personally branded website. So registering your own domain name. So you could register juliancampbell.com or .com.au. And then you have complete control over everything that is on that website. So you can um, brand that in the way that it's appropriate. So if you've got particular colours or a particular style of image or language, you can create that on your personally branded website. You can use it either either as a simple one-page website, like a resume, if you're looking for contacts or jobs, or you can make it a fully personally branded website and go to town with it and make it really deluxe and write lots of information, have multiple pages with information about you, which will really help you in search engines as well. The next step is to register your name on all the social media channels, even ones you think you might not need now, you may need in the future. And and then again, even if you don't intend to use it, put your name on that, claim it as your own, some basic bio information because that does help you come up in search engines. And by controlling everything and having everything consistent across websites, social media channels and so on, you're giving your rep- your um, your reputation consistency across all different channels online. So how important are having professional photos to your first impression? As, as we know, when we meet people for the first time, we do like to make a fuss and, and look our best. And it's exactly the same online. We need to look our best. We need to give a really positive first impression. And having professional head shots done can give your profile and your profile viewer an insight into who you are and what you're about. For instance, if you see a chef in their work uniform cooking, it enhances your feeling of trust in their services. They feel genuine and authentic. Um, Images showing that you're a keen sports person or a caregiver or maybe you're very active in your hobby, um, that gives feelings of depth of character and authenticity. However, if you have images that are highly personal or out of context with, you know, your branded image of yourself, it might give people the wrong impression. So I always suggest to customers that you keep the beers and barbecues to your private profiles and not into public spaces. Mm. So where can I get some help with all this? There's a number of government programs that are available to help you tune up your digital profile and you can visit huntervalleyhub.com.au to find out more information about programs that are available in the Hunter and Central Coast.
Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Kimberly. We'll have a chat with you again next month. Thank you, Julian. Kimberly Claire Campbell there from the Hunter Region Business Hub with that digital first impression. So important. Time to have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I'm good. We're going to talk about some interesting innovative products. This particular, well, the first one is uh, innovative deliveries. Yes, it is. And Zalando um, is a company that's trialling, they're operating by zip code, um, and it's coming out of out of Copenhagen. And what they're doing, they're trialling, it reminds me of, um, you know, Uber, and it reminds me of Airbnb. Uh, and what it is, is a drop-off pickup service. So I know there's many a time, especially now where we're ordering more and more things off the internet, where I may not be home when a delivery is made by, you know, the postie or by mm. the, the delivery vehicle um, who's delivering my parcel. And what this system does is it, is it allows you to register as a drop-off and pick-up zone. So at my house, I can say, okay, if it's on a Monday, I'm going to be home between these hours so all the deliveries can come to my house. And then if you have a parcel that's being delivered within that zip code or that postcode, um, you then make arrangements with me when you're going to pick it up. Or I say, you know, pick-ups are between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. at night. Um, come any time during this time and pick up the parcel, which for me alleviates, because it's so much, it's closer, and because it might be after hours, I don't have to race to the post office in order to pick up the delivery that I've been waiting for. So I thought that was an interesting um, extension of the, you know, Uber, Airbnb and, concept. And it's certainly solving a problem for a lot of people a number of times when we're not home and we have to rush down to the post office or get another Definitely. delivery. So, yeah, it's fantastic. What about this uh, rehabilitation gym? Yeah, so there's, um, what they're calling it is, it's called the Tech Gym, and it actually came out of um, the UTS Mechatronic Engineering students, um, and it came out of a challenge that they entered. And one of the guys, um, one of the students, his grandmother had had a stroke, uh, and what they decided was to create um, a system of, of a tech gym. So it's, you know, using, using video, virtual reality, if you like, um, and I placed my, so my, just say my left hand side's been affected by the stroke, my left hand isn't working properly, I can put my left hand, attach my left hand to a, to a pole, and through, um, through the interaction with the vision, I start picking things up or I start moving things. The same with, um, with you know, walking scenarios. So what it is, is using a convergence of different technologies. So we're using hand-tracking cameras, we're using EMG machines, EEG machines, we're using Xbox Connect cameras, Leap Motion, to create um, a sense of reality that makes me... Um, as, a, as a stroke victim, reach for an article, walk towards something. Um, so they've called it a tech gym. I think it's, it's, it's going to have many uses um, and it will advance much further than what it is now. But I think it was a, you know, it's quite an amazing thing to come out of um, the UTS engineering um, school. The other thing I thought we might talk about, because it's becoming more and more um, talked about and we're using it in conversation, is the digital twin. Um, so the digital twin is, it, it's used to describe the computerized or the digital version of a physical asset or a process or something that you're, um, that you're implementing or that you're experimenting with. So the digital twin contains one or more sensors that collects data um, and represents real-time information about that physical asset. So you can actually trial your product even before you build the prototype or you build um, the process, you know, with, within a, a software system. You can trial it in this, again, virtual reality, um, that are, and it's called a digital twin, and it allows you um, to experiment and to actually find the faults within the process before you actually get to prototype. So 
So mm. I think that's, you know, that's going to get product to market faster, but it's also going to allow us to say, hey, this product really is going to work. Oh, my goodness, there's a whole lot of um, issues surrounding this product in the, in the real world that we've discovered through this virtual world um, that we can address immediately before we get anywhere near prototyping. So I think we're going to be hearing more and more around the digital twin um, and the massive amounts of data that it processes, but also that we can collect and feed into it. So certainly uh, the uh, internet and all these uh, technologies certainly uh, helping with so many innovations and solving problems, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Thank you for your time again. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, now it's time for our Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one, a disagreeing with someone more powerful than you. What should you do when you disagree with someone more powerful than you? It may be tempting to say nothing, but consider the risks. Say a project could be derailed or you could lose the team's trust and then realistically weigh them against the potential consequences of taking action. Before you share your thoughts, think about what the powerful person cares about. It may be the credibility of the team or getting a project done on time. When you do speak up, connect your disagreement to a higher shared purpose. It's smart to give the powerful person psychological safety by giving permission, as in, I know we seem to be moving toward a first quarter commitment here. I have reasons to think that it won't work. I'd like to lay out my reasoning. Would you be okay? Watch your language carefully. Avoid any judgment words such as short-sighted, foolish or hasty. Stick to the facts. Show respect while maintaining your own self-respect. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at those digital first impressions and a couple of products that are very innovative. Next week, we're going to talk business success with Rani Gardi from Turnbull Hill Lawyers. We have a minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Albert Einstein once said, the important thing is to stop questioning. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.